we have come to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning. And every time that we do that, it's a meaningful time in the life of our church. One of the things that I like about the way that we celebrate the Lord's Supper at Marberly is that we make it the entire focus of the worship gathering. It's not just another element that's added on to it, but every song, the message, everything is about focusing on Jesus. And that's what it ought to be because that's what Jesus told us to do. So this morning, as you came in, you got a little packet like this, and there's a wafer on top of that and some juice in the bottom. And if you didn't get one, you can make your way out to the exit or raise your hand. Someone can bring you one this morning. But we're going to get to this in a minute. We're all going to take the Lord's Supper together in just a few minutes. So just hang on to that for, for just a few minutes there before we get to that. But this morning, uh, what I want to think about, what I want you to think about is a couple of things. One, we just finished a sermon series where we talked about the church in action, church taking action. And this morning, we're going to take another action. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. But there are actually three things that you can do as a part of that celebration. And the first of those is you can remember. And Jesus said we should remember. You'll remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he had the Passover meal with his disciples in the upper room. And at that meal, which we refer to as the Last Supper, he explained to them essentially that he was the Passover lamb that was given by God to take away all the sins of the world. Paul says this in Corinthians about that night. It says, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after the supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we are commanded to remember, to remember all that the Lord has done for us and to never let the world that we live in forget that Jesus came because of the heart of God. He came to live and die and be resurrected, as he said, for you, for me, for every person. Now, as Greg said a minute ago, yesterday we remembered 9-11. I don't know where you were on 9-11-2001 that Tuesday morning. I was at a staff retreat down here at the Wingate Inn. I don't even know if it's still called that. But we were there as a staff retreat. We walked in. Everybody in the lobby was gathered around the television. It was about 9 o'clock. And the first plane had hit the tower, the first tower. We still tried to have a staff retreat. I was like, something's up. That's not right. An airplane full of people hitting the World Trade Center. And then we took a break and went out and found out that there had been a second plane that had hit the second tower. And then in just a few minutes, both those towers collapsed to the ground. And then we learned later that there were two more planes that were intended to do damage. One hit the Pentagon, one was probably headed to the Capitol or to the White House and was diverted by some passengers who had incredible courage. If you're 20 years of age or younger, you don't remember that. That's not in your personal experience. You've probably heard people talk about it. But for those of us who were there that day, we remember, we remember that that Tuesday night, people gathered in this worship center and prayed for our country. Last-minute announcement, we're having a prayer service tonight. People came. We remember that in the days following, that our country was incredibly unified, even around a president that half the aisle didn't care for. But he's my president because of his response to 9-11. There were American flags everywhere. You couldn't even buy one. They were all sold out everywhere you went. You saw a soldier. You thanked him for their service to our country. Remember those days? Yeah, we remember that. We were unified in a way that I don't know if we'll ever be unified again. I don't know. 9-11 is a chance to remember, but only if you were alive during that time. 
If you weren't alive, then yesterday maybe came and went and it wasn't that meaningful to you. In the same way, I would ask you this. Do you have a personal experience with Jesus Christ? Is he part of your personal experience? Because if he's not, then what we're going to do this morning probably isn't going to be that meaningful to you. You see, the Lord's Supper is not just a ritual that we go through in order to somehow gain some spiritual power for our lives. That's not what the Lord's Supper is. It's not some kind of religious exercise that we go through that earns us points with God. That's not what the Lord's Supper is at all. The Lord's Supper is an opportunity to do exactly what Jesus said. It's an opportunity to remember what Jesus did for us. And really, actually, it's more personal than that because it's actually an opportunity to remember him because he said twice in that passage, remember me. Jesus is God. Jesus died on the cross, but he's not dead anymore. He's alive. So as Christians, we don't have a relationship with his memory. We have a relationship with him. It's a personal relationship with the real Jesus. And that's what he said every time you come together to celebrate my supper. Remember me. I'm, I'm here. <laughs> I'm with you. And so this morning, that would be my challenge. The first thing is to remember him personally. You and me individually. We just sang about where his blood ran red. I'm in awe of you. The song was very personal. Did you sing those words? I'm in awe of you. I owe all to you. Sure we do. To him. Not just to his memory, but to him. Because he's alive. And this morning, we remember him. So in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to take the elements and hold them in your hand for just a minute and think about him and talk to him and communicate with him because he's alive. You see, what we have in the elements is a representation of his body and a representation of his blood, both of which were given, he said, for you. I love how personal the scripture is. Oh, not for that other guy. No, for me. It's that personal. So this morning, I want you to remember him personally because that's what he's asked us and actually commanded us to do. See, you and I have something in common, probably more than one thing, but at least one thing. And that is, we both sinned against God. The Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of that, what that earns us in our life, is death, separation from God. But the free gift of God, Paul says, is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The only way, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father unless they come through me. The only way to have a right relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. It's not found in any other religion. It's not found in any other philosophy. It's not found in your personal goodness, because that's a myth. And my personal goodness, that's a myth. But it's found in the person, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this morning, that's a gift that he wants you to have and know. He wants you to have eternal life and know him personally. So let me ask you again, is Jesus part of your personal experience? Because every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, we always offer the gospel to people because... It's a chance to say, no, I don't think I have Jesus in my life, but I want him. That's you this morning. The good news is you can. Because your part of the equation is to put your trust in him. Jesus said, this is the only work you can do, and that is to believe in the one whom he sent. That's all we can do. We can't earn it. We'd never be good enough to deserve it. But what we can do is put our faith in him. So do you believe this morning that Jesus is the Messiah? Do you believe he's the son of God? That he's the only way to have salvation? 
If you do, that's a good first step. The second thing is to actually trust him with your life for eternity. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you just to bow your head and close your eyes all across the room. And those of you who are already believers, just pray for the people that are sitting around you. Pray for the people that are watching online this morning. If you'd like to receive Jesus Christ this morning, that is in your control. That's your responsibility. You can do that. The Bible says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord, Romans 10, 13, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise. And God's incapable of breaking his promises. So he's not going to break his promise to you this morning. So this morning, if you'd like to receive Jesus as your Savior and know that you have eternal life, that all your sin has been forgiven, then I'm just going to lead you through a time of calling on the name of the Lord. And there's nothing magical about the words that I'm using. You can use my words and repeat after me, or you can use your own words that are similar, because the Lord knows your heart this morning, and that's what matters. So you can say this to him, Dear God in heaven, I want Jesus today. I want to be saved today. I want Jesus more than anything. I want him more than sin. I don't want any sin in my life anymore, God. Not holding on to any sin. I, I reject it. I want you today. I want to be saved today. Thank you for sending Jesus for me. Help me now to love you like you love me. For I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you can look at me. The Bible says when someone repents or they turn away from their sin, which is what I just led you through a time of doing, and they put their trust in Jesus Christ, that all the angels in heaven above rejoice when someone does that. And so this morning, if you just trusted Christ as your Savior, you're now adopted into his family. You're a Christian, you're a believer, and you are eligible to take the Lord's Supper, to celebrate the Lord's Supper with us this morning. And I would just say to parents this morning, if you came in and your child has not yet experienced spiritual birth in their life and they received one of these little containers and they came in, that's fine. Don't let them participate. This is only for believers this morning. So it's a great opportunity for you as a parent to talk to them later today or tomorrow about why they weren't able to do that and what it means and why it's for Christians only. And so it's a great teaching moment for you. But if you'll take that little packet, and I said we were going to do this, just think about this for just a minute. And don't do anything with it yet, but just think about it. I just want you to hold it. Because the first thing we're called to do is remember. The second thing we're called to do this morning is repent. The Lord's Supper is always an opportunity for us to repent of any sin in our lives. Paul went on to say this in 1 Corinthians, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Paul says that we shouldn't take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. The literal word there means to devalue something. He's saying when you take the Lord's Supper and you're not willing to repent of a sin in your life or sins in your life that you're aware of, that the Holy Spirit's already made you aware of, that you're devaluing what Christ did on the cross. You're devaluing the greatest sacrifice anyone's ever known for any other human being. Greater love has no man than this, the Bible says, than a man would lay down his life for his friends. And so when you take the Lord's Supper and you ignore your sin, you're devaluing that. And you are inciting judgment upon yourself. And so this morning, it's a stern warning to us as believers to say, this is a chance for us to repent. Maybe of something that happened this morning, before we got here, or yesterday, or years ago. Maybe you know something in your life that you didn't do that the Lord wanted you to do, or you did something you knew he didn't want you to do. Maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's a struggle, it's a besetting sin in your life. 
And you need to let it go. You're, you have the control over whether or not you repent. That's within your control. Someone explained to me the difference between repentance and remorse one time. And they said repentance is when you can say honestly before God in your heart that if I had that thing to do over again, I wouldn't repeat it. Whereas remorse is feeling sorrow because you got caught and now you have to face the consequences of your sin. So which one is true in your life this morning? Are you just remorseful about your sin? Are you willing to abandon your sin, to actually repent of your sin this morning? This is an opportunity for you to do that. So I want you to take the elements and just peel back the top of that little cellophane wrapper there. And there's a wafer, the white wafer that you see there. And I'm asking you just to hold that in your hand and then hold the juice in your other hand. And what I want to give you is just a few minutes here of silence, reverent silence, for you to focus and remember Jesus this morning, to talk to Jesus this morning. If there's anything you need to repent of, to repent to Jesus this morning. And after a minute or two of silence, then we're going to take the elements together. So take a minute and just focus on the Lord this morning. Luke records that Jesus said on that last night that he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them and he said, this is my body which is given for you. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the assurance of our salvation. Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice of your life for each of us, that you made it so personal, you explained it so personally so that we would know that you know and love each of us personally. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your heart. We pray, God, that you would be glorified in our life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus is amazing. What he's done for us is amazing. And um, this morning we can remember, we can repent. And the last thing I want to talk about this morning is we can refocus. What does that mean? Well, think about Peter's life for just a minute. Peter was the guy who was the guy we always think about with foot and mouth disease. He's always saying things he shouldn't say. He's the vocal leader of the disciples, telling Jesus, you're never going to go to Jerusalem. I'll never allow that to happen. And then denying him three times on the night that Jesus was arrested. And then Peter's the first one out of the boat when they see Jesus on the shore after his resurrection. Jesus has fixed breakfast for him, John 21, and Peter jumps out of the boat and starts going to him. He's been fishing because he's gone back to all he knows. He's not sure what's going on with Jesus, but he sees him, and he sort of runs to him. And Peter later becomes the guy who stands on the southern steps of the temple, the most visible place in all of Jerusalem, and preaches boldly about who Jesus is. Who is this guy? Who is this fisherman? Transformed by the Holy Spirit, by the assurance and the knowledge that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, that he rose again from the dead. No one's ever done that. Peter goes on to become a leader in the church and ultimately is crucified for his faith, but he refuses to be crucified like Jesus, so they crucify him upside down. That Peter wrote these words, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, 
He has given us new birth into a living hope. We just sang about that. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. As Christians, we can refocus. We can focus on our hope. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of hope, but hope here means something different than we, the way we commonly use the word because we use the word hope like, I hope it snows on Christmas or I hope my team wins next week or I hope I get a good report at the doctor's office. That's not the kind of hope that Peter's talking about because that kind of hope basically is a wishful longing for an uncertain expectation. I don't know what's going to happen. I hope it goes well for me. I hope I get what I want. That's not what Peter means at all. For Peter, the word hope here, the living hope, literally is Jesus. And what he's saying is it's a certain expectation of a certain future. We have a certain future. I don't hope I go to heaven when I die. I know I'm going to heaven when I die, but not because of me, because of Jesus. So I don't live with this sense of, oh, I hope I make it. I hope I get in. No. That's what Peter's saying. We have a living hope because our future, our inheritance, he describes it here. He says that it's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. My hope's not built on who's in the White House or what's going on with the stock market or even what the doctor says. My hope is eternal. Yours is too if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. A certain expectation of a certain outcome. That's the hope that we have. And that hope ought to be our focus every day. Because in this world that we live in where there's tons of bad news and tons of bad things that happen all the time, that's part of the way that we talked about last week, that we shape the culture that we live in. We live with a living hope. Yeah, those things are disappointing and discouraging sometimes, but they're not ultimately going to affect us. Because we're headed somewhere where our inheritance can't be touched, it can't be changed, it can't be altered by you or me or anybody else. We have a certain future, and that is the hope that we share this morning. So when you leave here today, wherever you go, share that hope with people. When you get back to work tomorrow and they say, what'd you do all weekend? Don't just talk about the game you watched. Talk about the Jesus we celebrated this morning because we have a hope, a living hope. Don't forget that as you go forward. Refocus your attention on that, and it permeates all the other stuff that we live through in our lives. Let's pray together this morning. Father, I thank you this morning that we have a hope that permeates every negative, bad, horrible thing that we see in our world around us. And nothing can change it because you are a good God. We just sing about your goodness. And Lord, we thank you that you're so good that you made this human proof, foolproof. <laughs> thank you that our inheritance is imperishable that it's undefiled, that it's unfading, held by you for us. Thank you for your love for us today. We pray, God, that you would permeate our lives with hope. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.